The polls closed Tuesday at 7 p.m. And about a half hour later... All right. It looks like we're starting to get some results in. Uh, Cheryl, can you update us on this? Yes, I can. So we have 34% of the precincts reporting at this point. And it looks like that uh, Lori Lightfoot is at the top of the heap so far. Uh, Former federal prosecutor Lori Lightfoot led the pack with Cook County Board President Tony Preckwinkle in second and former Commerce Secretary Bill Daley not far behind. One by one, the concession speeches came. But the top of the leaderboard didn't really change. And by 10 p.m., it was over. Lightfoot declared victory. All of you here tonight stood with us when so many others said this day would never come. Yes, they did! Yes, they did! The field was too crowded. There was no path for a new reformer without a huge donors, being an elected official for 10,000 years amidst a pack of establishment figures. And then Preckwinkle. We may not yet be at the finish line, but we should acknowledge that history is being made. And she got in a little dig at the candidate who is now her only opponent. It's not enough to stand at a podium and talk about what you want to see happen. You have to come to this job with the capacity and the capability to make your vision a reality. But here's the thing. A fraction of the fraction of registered voters who, I should say, are only a fraction of the city's population picked one of these two women. So a lot of Chicagoans may not know anything about them yet. Here's a woman I met at the election night party of a losing candidate, Illinois comptroller Susana Mendoza. If, if it's not her, it should be Terry. Periwinkle, yes. Yeah, I totally support women at this point. That's my second choice. Of course, she means Tony Preckwinkle. But with so many candidates to keep track of the last few months, who can blame her? Hi, everybody. This is On Background, the WBEZ Politics Podcast. I'm Becky Vivi. It was an election for the history books. With no incumbent on the ballot and 14 candidates for mayor, just a third of all Chicagoans cast ballots this week. And the results are in. No matter what, Chicago is going to have a black female mayor. That's a guarantee. Cook County Board President Tony Preckwinkle and former federal prosecutor and police board president Ori Lightfoot will go head-to-head in a runoff April 2nd. Here to talk about what it all means for the city and what's next are WBEZ's Dan Mihalopoulos and Claudia Morrell. Hi, guys. Hey. Hey. So what was the biggest surprise of election night for you two? You know, for me, I think the biggest surprise for the of the whole campaign season, the, the election itself at the end was pretty much exactly what the polls were indicating, mm-hmm. uh, that nobody would come close to having 50% plus one. So I think with so many people in the race, I think what was surprising with me is that nobody stood out, really. Nobody separated themselves from the rest of the pack significantly. At the end of the day, you have two candidates in the runoff, neither of whom approached even 20% each, and combined, uh, they don't approach 50% plus one. So in other words, you know, the math for me that was most surprising is that the 12 who were eliminated, you put all their voters together, and they got the lion's share of the votes. Mm -hmm. So I, I think for me, that's something that we haven't seen anything remotely like it before. What about you, Claudia? 
most of the surprises for me were on the aldermanic side, not the mayor's race. Um, I was shocked that Mayor Rahm Emanuel made a surprise appearance to Tom Tunney's uh, election night party. Uh, and I was surprised that uh, Joe Moreno had lost really early in the night. He's the alderman of the first ward who had a lot of uh, bad press uh, in the weeks leading up to the election. Uh, in terms of the mayoral race, uh, I thought that Lori Lightfoot had been underestimated from the start. Uh, I think that she was one of the first candidates that was in and um, her and Tony Preckwinkle, you know, had a lot in common as it relates to the issues. Let's talk a little bit about the the map that we've all been able to digest now that we're a couple of days out. What did we see in terms of how people in different parts of the city voted? Well, I mean, Lori Lightfoot is an African-American woman who in a city that's very segregated and has had a long history of very tribal-oriented, very racial-oriented politics, uh, finished first, okay, albeit with 17.5%, without winning a single majority African-American ward. Yeah. So that's the first part of the map you have to look at is that she got uh, her most of her support from wards on the north side uh, that are predominantly white and uh, maybe more uh, liberal than than some other parts of the city. Uh, then you look at the map, and uh, Tony Preckwinkle uh, finished second, and she only won a, a very small number of wards. I think it was like five wards, mostly on the south uh, lakefront. So you have vast swaths of the city. Willie Wilson won huge parts, Mm -hmm. finishing fourth overall, uh, huge parts of the west side and the south side. Uh, You had Jerry Joyce winning where he comes from, from the southwest side. Far northwest side, you know, uh, again, different from from other parts of the city. Bill Daly. So, and, you know, Susana Mendoza and Gary Chico were were stronger in a handful of, of predominantly Latino wards. So very, very, very fragmented. How do you think turnout affected who ultimately ended up in the top two spots? Well, turnout was pretty low. I mean, right. almost approached the the mark for for the lowest ever. And uh, did it affect so much uh, who who finished first or second? I, I don't know. There was just no no big surge, no candidate that really took the race by the scruff of the neck. And uh, so I, I don't think that turnout was particularly higher in one community or another of the city or one uh, racial group or ethnic group than another. It just, um, there was overall, I think, a lot of of apathy. Mm -hmm. So it's not only that, you know, we had only a third of voters pick Tony Preckwinkle or Lori Lightfoot, but there was actually only a third of the city that came out to vote, right? Only a third of the registered voters. Right. Barely a third of the registered voters. And then of those who did turn out, uh, fully two-thirds of them voted for one of the 12 candidates who was eliminated. Right. So I think it sets up a very interesting situation in the runoff on April the 2nd. Uh, and again, we can't assume that the same people who came out the other day are going to come out on April the 2nd. M- many of them will not. Uh, and then there are other people that didn't come out who will come out on April the 2nd now. Claudia, you were at Bill Daly's election night party. Bill Daly took third. He was the last to concede. And it was kind of surprising because he had raised the most money. I think he was around $8 million in this race. And he's a daily. He's a well-known name. What what happened there? Well, if you ask um, daily supporters, they would blame uh, Jerry Joyce because if you look at the margin of votes that uh, daily was behind Preckwinkle, 
Uh, Jerry Joyce uh, makes more than enough to put him in the second spot. And those are the voters that um, may have very well gone for Daly, the northwest side and southwest side, because I was uh, pretty shocked seeing how well Lori Lightfoot did in the lakefront. And that's uh, the area of the city that I was looking for, like who could garner the most votes there, because the lakefront constantly shows up for elections. Lakefront, Beverly and O'Hare. Those are the four areas of the city that you can count on to show up to vote. And I think that the fact that Daley didn't get the lakefront and that Jerry Joyce took the north and west sides is why um, he came in third. Yeah, I don't buy it. Yeah. I know I know that that's what the Daley people think and that's what they were complaining about on election night. I just don't buy it. I think there's a lot of people in the among public sector workers, they're just looking out for themselves and their mm-hmm. pension. Okay, we all look out for our self-interest, but... In their case, they have a big self-interest in what happens to the pension system. And Bill Daley goes out there and says that he wants to change the state constitution, which guarantees their pensions. Mm. I don't think if they didn't vote for Jerry Joyce that they would vote necessarily for Bill Daley. The other thing I think that we, we learned about Bill Daley and about the Daleys overall is that Bill Daley can try to say, I'm my own man. But he was instrumental in putting his brother in power. And in many of the things that his uh, brother did while in power, he supported him. And they ran the city, at least the finances, into the ground. Uh, I think the legacy of Rich Daly has been darkened considerably since even since he left office. And I think we were starting to understand what a mess he made of the finances of the city even before he left. But the people get it now. And so you're talking about a change election and somebody brings you the third Mayor Daly, yeah. potentially? Yeah. It's not going to happen. So he made a good he run of it. Better, but he's, yeah, he's than done. I thought, given his uh, name, his last name. Yeah, the Daly dynasty may be over. All right. Let's talk a little bit about what's next in the mayor's race, specifically in the next four to five weeks. What should people look out for? Well, in this runoff, what we're going to see here now is uh, something um, that's, that's very interesting. In Tony Preckwinkle, we have a candidate who's been around. You know, she was an alderman for a very long time and then uh, county board president since eight years ago. And she says she has got the experience to deal with the very difficult problems that lie ahead for the city and that the city's already struggled to, gr- to, to deal with. Uh, and then you've got somebody else that's really from outside of politics. Yeah, I know she had a, a couple of uh, appointments under uh, Mayor Emanuel and under uh, Mayor Daley before. Uh, but is she part of this system uh, Lori Lightfoot, absolutely not. I mean, those were appointments that uh, were were probably not even full time gigs, really. Uh, her main thing is that she's been a lawyer. You know, mm-hmm. f- was a federal prosecutor, partner at Mayor Brown. So I think that we have a very interesting situation here, where you know, two people that on paper uh, have uh, similar positions uh, have very, very different personalities too. and experience. And different different resumes completely. Yeah. Yes. Um, we already noted that a black female mayor is is a guarantee at this point. Both of these women claim to be progressives. Claudia, how do you see the definition of progressive playing out in the remainder of this campaign? Yeah, I think it will be one of the 
biggest issues uh, going into the runoff. And we've already seen with Tony Preckwinkle, she's been running on the progressive mantle in the sense that she says, look at my record. Look at how many times I had to run for alderman three times and I beat the machine. And then she says, and then you remember that parking meter deal? I was one of uh, X, like, only a handful of aldermen who voted against it. So Lori Lightfoot is going to use um, Preckwinkle's party ties against her. And that then Preckwinkle will then go back and say, and yeah, and you were a daily appointee. So I think that it will be a lot of, no, I'm the better progressive. No, I'm the better progressive. She kind of uses that um, politics and machine and the pay-to-play stuff against Preckwinkle. So we had 12 candidates who lost this week. But 60 plus percent of the voters picked from those 12. How important are the endorsements of the losing candidates for these two top candidates? We can't really say that the people uh, who lose can just tell the people who voted for them who to vote for. Uh, But they will be fighting for every vote, the two runoff candidates, Lightfoot and um, Preckwinkle. And so... They will be courting various candidates. One of the things I asked Lori Lightfoot actually the other day when, when she came on WBZ was, uh, who are you going to reach out to? She admitted that she's already reached out the, the day of the election, the night of the election, to some of the losing candidates. She wouldn't say who. Mm-hmm. Uh, she she kind of dodged that question, and I think Preckwinkle probably would dodge that question too. But there are some that um, – probably are more appealing to them because they had large numbers of voters and maybe because uh, they finished, um, you know, for instance, if you're uh, in a ward that Willie Wilson won and you finished second or third in that ward, then you probably want Willie Wilson's blessing. Mm -hmm. I don't know if he's going to give his endorsement to either one of them. We haven't reached out uh, to him yet, but uh, I think some of the other candidates will all right, let's shift gears away from the mayor's race, because whoever wins that that office is going to have to deal with a new city council. Um, and let's start with uh, one council race that everyone was watching very closely, the 14th Ward, Ed Burke. WTF, y'all. <laughs> what happened with Ed Burke? I loved that he told reporters when they asked how he won, he said, I've done what I have always done for the past 50 years. I canvassed, I walked, I did door knocking. And the remarkable part about it is that that's probably a majority of the work that he did. And one of my favorite things this election cycle was following his Facebook and just seeing everywhere he went (laughs) around the ward. I mean, I know a lot of it was just for show and it's for the photos and to say, look at who I'm talking to. But just seeing an old school uh, Chicago machine alderman showing like on social media, like the work that he puts um, to get out the vote, even though technically 14th Ward has one of the lowest turnout rates in the city. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it worked for him. Yeah, but he didn't do what he's always done. In the past, what he's done is knocked his uh, potential opponents off the ballot. And hasn't yeah, had a challenge. He hasn't have had one. to do the work that he's he had to do this time. That it succeeded, though, to me is stunning in that We've talked for a long time about the tolerance for corruption in this city, that uh, graft is what we what we fry our civic meat in, according to some people. But th- I think this is a, really even a new low. We can't say for the whole city, just for the 14th Ward. The whole country is talking about a guy, not just under federal investigation, defendant in a federal corruption case. They've, they've got wiretaps on him, and he wins the election. 
I mean, that, that's, no I runoff. think, a new yeah. low for the city. I, I don't remember the last time that someone, I mean, had even the gumption to run while facing charges. Now, he has a presumption of innocence. I understand that. And he thinks he, he says he is innocent and he's going to be okay. But this is a different story than the other ones where he was investigated and didn't get charged. He's been charged here. He had two younger Latino challengers were they just not strong enough candidates, or did they split the anti-incumbent sentiment? I mean, he got 55%. Right. So, you know, at, at the end of the day, you have to give the devil his due. But I think uh, what we saw was that the Chewy wave, the progressive wave— Chewy that, Garcia. Right. Chewy Garcia is the congressman now uh, for, for the predominantly Latino parts of the city and their suburbs. Ran for mayor last time and, and got Rahm into a runoff has been looking to, to uh, use his coattails to bring other people, fellow travelers, into politics, particularly on the southwest side where he's from, where he's clashed with machine politicians like Burke. And it didn't work this year on Election Day. Um, and certainly the 14th Ward was their big race for the Chuyistas, as I call them. And uh, they couldn't take out uh, Burke. They took out Dan Burke, the state yeah. rep, the mm-hmm. brother of Ed Burke, earlier this year with another young uh, candidate, Aaron Ortiz, who's now now the state rep. But they didn't uh, get the job done. And I think one of the things that people don't talk about is you know, progressivism is, is, is a left-wing movement. And I think that a lot of the immigrant families that live in wards like the 14th Ward are more conservative than people realize. Mm-hmm. This is not Pilsen. This is a bungalow belt. These are families that are from rural parts of Mexico, and both in Chicago and Mexico and many other countries, people accept a certain amount of, of corruption that they think they're all corrupt. You know, mm-hmm. why are we going to discard someone just for being corrupt? These right. are corrupto. Let's move away from the 14th Ward for a second. Let's talk more broadly about aldermanic races. How many incumbent aldermen went down? How many are still in jeopardy? So three incumbent aldermen lost outright. We had First Ward Alderman Joe Moreno of Wicker Park. We had 45th Ward Alderman uh, John Arena of Jefferson Park. And we had 49th Ward Alderman Joe Moore of Rogers Park. And uh, we still have a lot of uh, incumbent aldermen who are going to be fighting for their jobs in the runoff. We have uh, 10 aldermen that are going to have a runoff challenger and two aldermen where there are outstanding precincts that need to be counted. And the the majority or the essentially they haven't made 50 percent or barely. So are we going to see a council that looks fundamentally different than the council we have right now? Or is that? A bit of an overstatement. Oh, yeah. I think there'll definitely be uh, some differences in the council. Um, I mean, you're losing three and potentially another 10. I think their odds, aldermen uh, that go to runoffs, their odds are at best 50-50, I think, of surviving those runoffs. Even if they got close to 50 percent in the first round, most of the people voted against them and want anyone but that incumbent. So, Runoff is a bad thing for them. So you could have a lot of wholesale change. And don't forget, before the election, we had several uh, big retirements, too. Uh, people that did not uh, decide to seek re-election, uh, like Rick Munoz, Danny Solis, Marge Lorino. I think there were a number. Uh, Mike Pilar. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. yeah, there are already a few changes, and there'll be even more changes made here by the voters. Right. Given that the top two candidates are so similar on paper, do you think that there will be whole voting blocks that sit this runoff out? I think it's too early to say because um, back in 
2015, I know like Ram and Chewie were very different, but the turnout in the runoff was significantly higher than in the general. And I think um, we still have a lot of weeks ahead where things can shape, um, you know, how people vote. I mean, who knew the stuff with Burke was going to happen when Gary McCarthy, the first candidate, announced? And who knew Rom wasn't going to run? Um, so I think it's still too early to say. All right. Thanks so much, Claudia and Dan, for being here today. My pleasure. Thank you. That's all for this episode. Reporting comes from Dan Mihalopoulos, Claudia Morrell, me, Becky Vivi, and a long list of WBEZ reporters who were out in the field Tuesday night. Our editors are Kate Cahan and Alex Keefe. Our producer is James Edwards. You can rate, review, subscribe, and download the On Background podcast in Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow all of WBEZ's political coverage at wbez.org slash politics and always on air at 91.5 FM.